This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America. Teachers hold a significant role in the lives of young children, second only to parents in terms of influence. Within the school environment, they are entrusted with the care and education of children, nurturing their growth and safeguarding their well-being. Consequently, parents place a considerable amount of trust in their children's teachers, relying on them to act in the best interest of students. However, in 1998, a shocking violation of that trust unfolded in a school in Seattle, sending shockwaves worldwide. The case served as a stark reminder of the double standards that exist within society when it comes to female sexual predators. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina Instead, and welcome to Episode 78 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Kay Schmitz was born January 30, 1962, in Tustin, California, to parents Mary E. and John G. Schmitz. Her mother was a former chemist, while her father was a community college instructor and politician. She was born into a strict Catholic household, and she was the fourth of seven children. John, a former chemist turned community college instructor and politician, made his mark in California politics as a devoted follower of Senator Joseph McCarthy. In 1964, he was elected as state senator, beginning an 18-year tenure representing Orange County, either as a congressman or a state senator. He built his political career on the pillars of church, family, and conservative values, staunchly opposing the introduction of sex education in schools. Growing up, Mary Kay had bounced from Catholic school, to Catholic school because her parents believed they kept getting too liberal. John was unyielding in his resistance to the inclusion of sex education in schools. If any school considered implementing such programs, he promptly withdrew his daughter and sought alternative educational opportunities. In 1967, he even sponsored a bill aiming to expedite the suspension of teachers accused of sex offenses. Although the bill failed to pass, John was re-elected by a wide margin. As the national director of the Birch Society, John attracted support from wealthy conservatives and was ultimately chosen to run for Congress when the county's long-serving conservative representative, James Utt, passed away. Meanwhile, Mary Kay's mother, Mary, made frequent television appearances vehemently opposing the Equal Rights Amendment. The family were hit with tragedy in the summer of 1973 when Mary Kay's three-year-old brother, Philip, drowned in the pool. At the time, John was away on business while Mary was busy with church work, leaving Mary Kay in charge of her siblings. She hadn't even noticed that Philip was missing until he was found lifeless at the bottom of the pool by Mary when she came outside. Then, in 1981, John faced significant backlash when the full state Senate reprimanded him and removed him from his committee chairmanship. The rebuke came after he issued a press release containing derogatory remarks about Jews, feminists, and gays. Ironically, the following year, it was discovered that John had engaged in an extramarital affair with a former student, someone he'd taught in a political science class at Santa Ana College in Tustin. The affair was brought to light when the woman took one of their two children to the hospital due to a severe injury. 
The baby's hair had become entangled so tightly around his penis that it nearly severed it, necessitating surgical reconstruction. While the boy was temporarily placed in protective custody, he was later returned to his mother after medical professionals determined that the injury was accidental. The family were distraught, especially Mary Kay, who had a tight bond with her father. Nevertheless, the family were able to reconcile, and life resumed its course after a move to Washington. Despite the challenges within her family, Mary Kay was described by acquaintances at school as popular, intelligent, attractive, and charming. One classmate recalled, Maybe her reputation was a little racy, but she was so gorgeous and so much fun. She was never, ever without a boyfriend. During her time at Arizona State University, she crossed paths with Steve Letourneau, and the two eventually married when Mary Kay became pregnant with their first child. They relocated to Anchorage, Alaska, where Steve secured employment as a baggage handler for Alaska Airlines. After about a year, Steve's job led them to Seattle, Washington, where Mary Kay pursued her studies at Seattle University, aspiring to become a teacher. In 1989, Mary Kay graduated with a teaching degree, welcoming their second child into the world before completing her education. She embarked on her teaching career as a second-grade teacher at Shorewood Elementary School, while she and Steve expanded their family with two more children. Mary Kay quickly garnered a reputation as an exceptional educator, with a perpetual waiting list for her class and parents singing her praises to one another. Shirley Hodgson, director of human resources for the Highline School District, commented, The teachers and principals all gave her high marks. They all thought she was a good teacher, a good person. Mary Kay recalled, I walked into my classroom every Monday and I knew I was in the right place. It didn't take Mary Kay long to notice a little boy in her second grade class that had extraordinary artistic ability. His name was Vili Fualau, and he was eight years old. As Mary Kay later recalled, there was something about Vili that set him apart from other students. She felt an immediate bond with the young boy, commenting, I didn't know what that meant. I felt that one day he might marry my daughter. After the second grade, Vili moved on to third, fourth, and fifth grade, and with each grade came a new teacher. Then, in the sixth grade, Mary Kay was ecstatic to learn that Vili was going to be her student once more. Among his classmates, Vili stood out, not only due to his artistic talent, but also because he physically towered over the other students. Remarkably, he even surpassed Mary Kay's own height and looked much older than 12 years old. Subtly but swiftly, the grooming process began with Mary Kay offering to tutor Vili in history, a subject he struggled with. Vili started dedicating increasing amounts of time to assist Mary Kay after class, eagerly contributing to various special projects. Mary Kay encouraged Vili's art, purchasing him supplies and teaching him piano. Vili lived at home with his mother Suna and three older siblings. He was born June 26, 1983, to Suna and her then-husband, Luava, who was from Hawaii. The couple had long been separated, and Luava moved back to Hawaii. Suna worked around the clock to provide for the family, including an all-night gig as a pastry chef. Consequently, Vili often found himself alone at home, but soon, he started spending time at Mary Kay's home, under the pretense of tutoring. One afternoon, Mary Kay offered to remove an item of clothing for each question Vili got correct in an upcoming history test. Initially, when Suna learned of Mary Kay's interest in Vili, she embraced it, perceiving it as an opportunity for her son to have a positive influence in his life. According to Suna, Vili was an old soul trapped in a young body. Soon enough, Mary Kay began taking Vili on outings to art galleries, fostering their shared passion. Occasionally, she even took him out to dinner and the cinema. Speaking of Vili, Mary Kay later recalled, 
He was my best friend. We just walked together in the same rhythm. Amidst this intricate web of connections, Mary Kay's marriage was in a state of turmoil. Although she and Steve had four children together, the devastating loss of a miscarriage in January 1996 pushed her to the brink of emotional collapse. At just 12 years old, Billy lacked the comprehension to realize that he was being groomed by his teacher. In a misguided display of bravado, he made a bet with a cousin, wagering $20 on the prospect of engaging in a sexual relationship with Mary Kay. He was spending more and more time at her home. And a few days before his 13th birthday, Mary Kay sexually abused him for the first time. The sexual abuse continued, and in the summer of 1996, Billy surprised Mary Kay with a silver ring and said that he wanted to marry her. Then, on June 19, 1996, authorities received a call about a potential drunk driver at the Des Moines Marina around 1.20 a.m. The caller reported seeing a minivan drive over a curb, and he feared that the driver was intoxicated and a potential danger. Police arrived and positioned their patrol vehicle behind the minivan, illuminating it with spotlights. They observed a woman swiftly moving from the back of the minivan into the driver's seat. It was Mary Kay. When the officers opened the back of the minivan, they discovered Vili hiding beneath a sleeping bag, pretending to be asleep. Mary Kay initially claimed that Vili was 18 years old, but it was evident to the officers that he appeared much younger. Sensing something amiss, Mary Kay altered her story and explained that she had been babysitting Vili at her home when an argument erupted between her and her husband. According to her account, Billy became upset, leading her to bring him to the marina, where they intended to spend the night in the minivan. The officers were suspicious of Mary Kay's account and believed there may have been improper relations between them. Despite orders from the police chief, officers decided not to investigate the scenario further. They did, however, contact the school. Highline Security Director Ronald Unke contacted Suna, and she asked the police to return Billy to Mary Kay. Shortly after this incident, a school janitor found Mary Kay and Billy in the faculty women's bathroom with the lights switched off. Mary Kay explained that she was trying to deal with Billy's attitude problem, and the janitor accepted the explanation. Steve's grueling work hours at Alaska Airlines were just one factor contributing to the disharmony in their marriage. Rumors circulated about his numerous extramarital affairs, and he had long been described as emotionally distant and uninvolved. There were also reports that Steve was emotionally and physically abusive during their marriage, and that the police had been called, although no charges were filed. One afternoon, Steve returned home to find Mary Kay and Billy asleep on the sofa, but he opted out of confronting them. However, as time passed, Steve stumbled upon a collection of love letters penned by Mary Kay and intended for Billy. Rather than confronting his wife about her indiscretions, he decided to drive to Billy's residence and confront him directly. Standing on Billy's doorstep, Steve posed a direct question asking whether he was sexually involved with Mary Kay. Steve already knew the answer, but Billy confirmed that he and Mary Kay had been involved in an illicit relationship. Despite this, Steve did not confront his wife, and he kept the disturbing revelation to himself. However, concerns about the relationship between Mary Kay and Billy extended beyond Steve's suspicions. Even Billy's mother had become increasingly alarmed by the amount of time he was spending with his teacher. She confronted Billy, questioning the nature of their relationship. However, Billy vehemently denied any wrongdoing, insisting that nothing untoward was occurring between them and that she was just his teacher and mentor. Then, toward the end of the summer, Mary Kay learned she was pregnant. Knowing that the child could not be Steve's, as they had ceased sexual activity, she grappled with her options. 
Despite the circumstances, she decided that she would never consider abortion, citing her professed love for Villy as a driving factor. As Mary Kay's pregnancy progressed and her stomach began to swell, it became increasingly evident to Steve that she was pregnant. Faced with this reality, he confided in his relatives, who in turn contacted both Child Protective Services and the Highline School District, raising concerns about the situation. On March 4, 1997, Mary Kay was arrested at school. The news of the sexual abuse spread throughout the community, spreading like wildfire. Since Mary Kay was heavily pregnant, she was released from custody and allowed to return home. She was placed under a court order to avoid further contact with Vili. Meanwhile, Vili was sent to live with his father in Hawaii and was placed into counseling. His mother said, He's doing fine as long as he's away from the situation and people don't harass him. Steve immediately filed for divorce and was granted full custody of their four children. He promptly moved to Alaska to start afresh, away from the media buzz surrounding his wife. After her arrest, Mary Kay expressed deep remorse for her actions and acknowledged the gravity of violating trust within her family, profession, and society. She commented, I think what I've done is horrible, and I wouldn't want anyone to think I believe it's acceptable. It's not. Despite being ordered to have no contact with Vili, she admitted to still harboring romantic feelings for him. Vili's mother also noted in the media that her son was still in love with Mary Kay. Vili himself was quoted as saying, I want people to stop seeing me as a victim. My life is going to be fine. Mary didn't harm me in any way. Who are they to say I'm too young to know anything when they don't know me? However, experts specializing in sexual offenders and the general public held a different perspective. Mary Kay's position of power and Billy's defense of her were seen as products of her grooming him since he was in second grade, blurring the lines of a romantic relationship. Lucy Berliner, research director of Harborview Medical Center's Sexual Assault Unit, highlighted the manipulative nature of such cases, stating, Nobody sees the injuries. The boy himself doesn't think anything's wrong. That's a good manipulator. Florence Wolf, co-director of Northwest Treatment Associates, emphasized that women who sexually abuse boys often present their actions as a love affair, but it remains exploitation. While many community members were appalled by Mary Kay's actions, there were, unfortunately, individuals who failed to comprehend the severity of the situation. One man named Bruce Markham told a reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, All I know is, when I was 13, I would have loved something like that. Unfortunately, it's a common misconception when a sexual predator is a woman that a real crime doesn't necessarily occur. Dory Monson commented, She's very attractive. Most guys who look at her picture say, Lucky kid. We have such a double standard. Billy's mother, Suna, also told reporters that she was hurt by what Mary Kay had done, but she said she had forgiven her. She wanted Billy to know the baby and said she intended on helping raise them. She stated, I don't condone what happened, and I have never condoned what happened. But it did happen, and it's something I have to accept and live with. On May 29, 1997, Mary Kay welcomed a baby girl who she named Audrey. Following the birth, she was returned to prison while the court ruled that Audrey was to be sent to be raised with Billy's family. They were Samoan, and in their culture, babies are typically raised by extended families. On July 17th, Mary Kay appeared in court. She expressed her intention to plead guilty as part of a plea agreement. The terms of the agreement involved the possibility of spending time in jail, followed by a treatment program. However, there was also the chance that the judge could reject the plea agreement and impose a sentence of up to seven years in jail. 
Her defense attorney, David Gerke, planned to argue that Mary Kay should receive treatment without serving any jail time. He mentioned that she had undergone evaluations by two state-certified sexual deviancy counselors whose recommendations would be reviewed by a probation officer. Based on their assessment, it would be determined whether Mary Kay should be considered for the program. A court-ordered psychosexual evaluation found that Mary Kay is not criminally oriented, chemically dependent, nor sexually obsessed and compelled. The evaluator also noted that although Mary Kay had not resolved her romantic, erotic, and sexual feelings for Villy, but has the intellectual resources to engage in and successfully complete psychotherapy. As Mary Kay exited the courtroom, reporters approached her to inquire about her motivations for pleading guilty. Overwhelmed with emotions, she burst into tears and was swiftly escorted away in a waiting vehicle. She returned to court on August 7th, where she pleaded guilty to two counts of second-degree rape of a child. The sentencing was scheduled for later to give the judge time to weigh up whether to accept the plea agreement or instead sentence her to up to seven years in jail. Before the sentencing was held, Billy made a startling claim in the media that the pregnancy was planned in order to create a bond between them. He told a reporter from KIRO-TV, We made a plan. The only way to keep us together was to have a baby, so that baby would remind me of her. He said that he and Mary both wore engagement rings. He shared his desire to one day marry her and commented, My brother tried to hook me up with an attractive girl last week, but I told her there's someone I'm waiting for. After the comments were published, Steve shared his belief that Mary Kay needed professional help, not prison time. He said she was living in fantasy land and believed that their children were suffering because of her actions. He said that their oldest son in particular was feeling a lot of anger, but still loved his mother despite what she had done. He stated, It was flaunted right in their face, the whole courtship of this boy and their mother. Billy's family then filed a lawsuit against KIRO-TV, several of its employees, and the station's parent company, Cox Broadcasting. They accused them of using a ruse to conduct an unauthorized interview with Billy. According to his mother, the reporter, Karen O'Leary, knocked on the door while she was at work and asked to use the bathroom. She claimed that unbeknownst to Billy, the video cameras were already rolling. She alleged that Karen urged Billy not to contact his lawyer and then persuaded him to accompany her to a nearby park where she interviewed him on camera. At this point in the case, Billy still hadn't been publicly identified, but the interview was conducted on camera and aired on television. The lawsuit also alleged unlawful imprisonment, invasion of privacy, trespass, negligent and intentional infliction of emotional distress, negligent hiring and supervision, and fraud. KIRO-TV responded to the lawsuit and denied that the reporter had used unethical means to interview Billy. Vice President and General Manager John Wooden said in a statement, KIRO-TV News operates in an ethical and legal manner. The interview was conducted with total cooperation and agreement by the young man. We stand by our story. KIRO's attorneys claimed that Billy consented to the interview with Karen and placed no conditions upon questions asked. They also said Billy allowed a photographer to take pictures of items in his home, but no photos of the little girl he had with Mary Kay. On November 14th, Mary Kay returned to court for her sentencing. The prosecution was seeking a seven-and-a-half-year prison sentence, while defense attorney David Gerke urged for treatment instead. He said that his client had already endured massive punishment, and while she knew what she did was wrong, she took risks partly because of hypomania, a type of bipolar disorder. While Mary Kay had never taken medication for the disorder, she was diagnosed in the wake of her arrest and promptly put on medication. 
Attorney David Gerke also said Mary Kay's crime was much less harmful than those committed by other child rapists because Villy didn't consider himself a victim. Villy and his family backed the defense's request, with his mother stating that Villy would feel guilty for his role as long as she's in jail. Ultimately, Mary Kay was sentenced to six months in jail, discounting the 100 days she had already served. After serving her time, she would be released for community-based treatment. Once the sentence was handed down, Mary Kay was allowed to address the court. I did something that I had no right to do, morally or legally. According to Superior Court Judge Linda Lau, she turned down the prosecution recommendation of a lengthy prison sentence for Mary Kay because she believed Mary Kay does not pose a risk to the community. I am satisfied that the defendant is amenable to community-based treatment. She also noted that Villy and his family had urged leniency. The judge also ordered that Mary Kay have no contact with Villy or any other minors unless expressly authorized by those treating her. If Mary Kay were to violate these conditions, it would result in a seven-and-a-half-year prison term. The lenient sentence received substantial criticism, particularly from child advocates who believe that if Mary Kay were male and her victim female, the punishment would have been much harsher. Patrick Gogarty stated, The facts are that as a teacher, she used one of her students to satisfy her sexual desires. You just don't do that. Rebecca Rowe, who prosecuted sex offenders in King County for 18 years, agreed. She suggested that Mary Kay got a break because she didn't look like most people's idea of a sex offender. She said, What it says is that people who don't look like bad people or don't look like child abusers, we're going to cut them some slack. Mary Kay's sentence sparked a call for changes in state law to require incarceration for sex offenders. State Senator Pam Roach announced she would be introducing a bill to repeal the Special Sex Offender Sentencing Alternative Law, often referred to as SSOSA. This law allowed for treatment as an alternative to lengthy sentences for first-time sex offenders, such as Mary Kay. Her announcement was criticized, with proponents of SSOSA saying that it encouraged victims of sexual abuse by family members to come forward. Seattle Defense Attorney David Allen elaborated, what you're going to end up with, if this happens, is a situation where family members don't want to turn in other family members or won't testify in their trials. On January 2, 1998, Mary Kay was released from jail to begin her sex offender treatment, which included three years of psychiatric treatment. As a condition of her release, she needed to register as a level two sex offender and also abide by a list of rules. The designation as a level two sex offender on a scale of one to three meant that Mary Kay posed a moderate risk of reoffending. Mary Kay needed to be supervised by a community corrections officer, continue counseling, take her medication, and have no contact with Billy or his immediate family. She was also ordered to disclose her sexual deviancy to any potential partners, avoid places where minors are known to congregate, and not initiate or prolong contact with children. If she were to get involved with a romantic partner, she needed to inform her corrections officer if any children were involved. Mary Kay moved in with a friend in the 4800 block of 49th Avenue South in Seattle where a few neighbors expressed concern but said they had no plans to protest. One neighbor, Ava Hammond, commented to the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, I don't want you to judge me, especially since you don't know me, and that's exactly how I feel for her. We all make mistakes. Everything's okay as long as she is willing to work to correct her mistakes. Right now, what she needs most is for people to care for her and consider what she's gone through. She's been through hell. Mary Kay was hoping to gain custody of Audrey, and her defense attorney shared his belief that she could be awarded custody once she completed three to four months of sex offender treatment. Her treatment provider, Terence Copeland, 
would be in control of making that decision. Vili's mother shared her belief that Mary Kay would be a good mother. While Mary Kay was forbidden from contacting Vili or his direct family, Judge Lau made an exception for Vili's mother since she was raising Audrey, and she wanted Mary Kay to have a connection with the baby girl. In the early morning hours of February 3rd, officers in Seattle were searching for a stolen vehicle around a block from where Mary Kay was staying. They observed a car parked on the side of the road with its lights on and its windows steamed up. They pulled over alongside it and Officer Todd Harris approached the car. As he drew closer, a woman climbed out of the driver's side and he recognized her immediately. It was Mary Kay Letourneau. Mary Kay told Officer Harris that she was alone, but when he looked in the car, he could see another person. It was Vili. Both Mary Kay and Vili gave false names, but the officer knew exactly who they were. Mary Kay was arrested for being in contact with a minor, a violation of the terms of her release. Mary Kay's defense attorney contended that both she and Vili were clothed and that they were simply talking. He stated, she was fixated on this one boy, and she had been under a no-contact order. It just underscores how deep-rooted this compulsion is. Dan Donahoe, a spokesman for the King County Prosecutor's Office, announced that they would be asking that Mary Kay be sent back to prison. He stated, Our position has always been that she should receive a prison sentence. Both Mary Kay and Billy were interviewed by sexual deviancy experts who concluded that she had reoffended. They both denied sexual contact, but Billy admitted that they had kissed and that he had touched her thigh. Both Mary Kay and Billy said that she had agreed to meet up with him at his request. Since the sexual abuse was uncovered, Billy had been struggling at both school and at home. He had been skipping school and dabbling with alcohol and drugs. He commented to the Seattle Times that he had very few friends, and when people spoke with him, it was always about the case. He stated, I'm just like this doll in the courtroom, and everywhere I go. Billy had even been charged with second-degree robbery in an incident involving his brother. According to Billy, he needed somebody who he could confide in, and Mary Kay was that person. Attorney Gerke came to Mary Kay's defense and said she had only been in treatment for 30 days. He stated, You can't snap your fingers and see your counselor three times and be cured. State Senator Roach took the opportunity to push once more to repeal SSOSA. She commented, This woman is predatory. She should not have been with the young man. I think this will add momentum to severely altering this program, and that lets sex offenders have a get-out-of-jail-free card. However, State Senator Roach's efforts to repeal SSOSA were denied. Two days after Mary Kay's arrest, Judge Lau sentenced her to almost seven and a half years in prison for violating her release conditions. Within weeks of your release from jail, you purposely violated the conditions of your sentence. Prosecutors believed Mary Kay and Billy may have been planning to run away together. Inside the car, police had found thousands of dollars in cash as well as Mary Kay's passport and infant's clothing and men's clothing. Billy had told them they had gone to the movies that night, had purchased some food and beer at a supermarket, and then sat in the car. Prosecutor Lisa Johnson told the judge, It appears as though Ms. Letourneau was ready to leave the jurisdiction. It looked like all her worldly belongings were in that car. Prosecutors also believed that Mary Kay and Billy had met secretly before and had not been caught. They had found receipts in Mary Kay's car for male clothing dating back to January, but she tried to maintain it was for her. The judge addressed Mary Kay, telling her, Within weeks from your release from jail, you purposefully violated the terms of your agreement. This case is not about a flawed system. This is about an opportunity that you foolishly squandered. It was also revealed in court that Mary Kay had been kicked out of the treatment program by Counselor Terry Copeland. He said that his meetings with her had all been contentious sessions in which she has repeatedly argued with his treatment program. 
When she was first released from jail, she attended three psychotherapy appointments, checked in by phone, and made the required visits to meet with a community corrections officer. She then began seeking a naturopathic alternative to the medication she was taking to ease mood swings from bipolar and became increasingly insecure about her appearance. Mary Kay stopped taking her medication and reactivated her pager, which allowed her to get in contact with Vili. After Mary Kay returned to jail, Child Protective Services released a report in which they concluded that Mary Kay had sexually abused Vili following her release. The report stated they had at least one sexual encounter not long after her release from jail. Vili had reportedly told his therapist that he and Mary Kay had been having sex and the therapist contacted the state agency. Further details of the sexual abuse were not released in case there was a further prosecution against Mary Kay. Just a couple of days after Mary Kay returned to prison, she made two 10-minute phone calls to Oprah Winfrey's talk show. In the phone call, she said that she wanted to marry Vili. She told Oprah, I think the families would like that, both families, his mother, my family, my biological family. Oprah then asked whether her so-called love for Vili was worth being in prison, to which she replied, Well, right now I'm here, and it's worth it for the fact I'm able to stay true to myself instead to an impression-valued obedience program. Mary Kay's estranged husband, Steve, also appeared via remote feed from Alaska. He said that it appeared as though Mary Kay had made her final decision, and that she had abandoned her family and her children. Steve said of their oldest son, It blows him away. He loves his mother so much, but yet he can't comprehend what she's done. While the show garnered a significant viewership, critics highlighted the glaring disparities. If a man had abandoned his wife and four children and molested a young girl and impregnated her, he would most likely not receive the same kind of airtime. As an article in the Chicago Sun-Times put it, Oprah would have thrown him off the show. Then again, Oprah probably wouldn't have had him on the show in the first place. Not everybody was of the same opinion, however, and the case remained as polarized as it did when the news first broke. Some still felt as though Mary Kay had done nothing wrong and didn't deserve to be in prison, and even more absurd, that she and Billy should be allowed to be together. Shortly after the show aired, the Seattle Times published an opinion piece written by a woman named Mary O'Brien. In the piece, she boldly stated, Please let Mary Kay Letourneau and the father of their child and the baby that is on the way get married so these children can have both of their parents. Mary Kay is of no harm to anyone. What she has done may not be right, but obviously there is such a strong bond between these two, even though we may not comprehend it. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In March 1998, it was reported that Mary Kay was pregnant with her second child with Vili. She underwent a sonogram at the Women's Correctional Center in Purdy, which found she was six weeks pregnant. A source commented, She is very excited about the new baby. Steve said that he was not shocked and told a reporter with the Associated Press, It kind of figures the way things are going. And as far as I'm concerned, this does not set me back. The following month, Mary Kay did another interview from behind bars with Mirabella magazine. 
She shared her belief that she and Billy had at least 10 children together in a past life. She stated, That's one of the way he proposed to me. He said, I know we were together before this life, and we had about 10 children. And I felt that too. We had at least that many. Mary Kay also predicted that she would be reunited with the four children she had with Steve and commented, They will be just fine when they are released back to their mother. I am their sanctuary, their lifeline, their only mother. In May, Mary Kay appealed her sentence and hired attorney James Lobsense. She was seeking more contact with her children and a chance to make money from her crime. Two months later, the lawsuit that Suna had filed against KIRO-TV was dismissed. Shortly thereafter, Mary Kay's conservative father, John, spoke publicly for the first time. He said that his daughter should be allowed to marry Vili. He also argued that she should never have been charged with a crime, stating, No one has used the argument that statutory rape, at least according to the Blackstone Dictionary, was solely a crime that a man could commit. While the appeal was in progress, Mary Kay and Billy released a book in Europe titled Only One Crime, Love. Much of the book dwelled on protestations that love could not be outlawed. Each chapter was written from the perspective of Mary Kay, Billy, or Suna, and was written by Bob Graham from tape-recorded interviews. The book revealed for the first time that after Mary Kay was released from jail to give birth to Audrey, she had asked Billy to drive her to the hospital. Billy, who was just 13 years old at the time, didn't have a driver's license and drove partway. Mary Kay, who was in the midst of contractions, needed to take over the wheel. It was also revealed that Mary Kay had kept Billy in her friend's home for two days without her knowledge, where they slept together in a bed. Mary Kay and Billy also divulged that before they were caught in the car following her release, they had made a pact to fulfill a Romeo and Juliet suicide pact. Billy was awarded most of the $250,000 advance for the book, and he traveled to Paris with his attorney, Bob Huff, for a book tour. On October 16, 1998, Mary Kay gave birth to a baby girl who weighed between 8 and 9 pounds. She was named Georgia. Attorney Susan Howard stated in the media, Mary has asked me to convey her appreciation for the concerns and good wishes expressed regarding her new baby. She wants nothing more than to enable her new baby, certainly, and all of her children, to have a chance to enjoy normal, happy lives. Following the birth, prosecutors opted out of filing more charges against Mary Kay. There had been some consideration that she be charged with third-degree child rape, which would see as much as five more years added to her sentence if convicted. After coming home from his book tour, Vili returned to school, but in October he was suspended after being caught smoking marijuana. While Mary Kay was forbidden from contacting Vili while behind bars, she still managed to write him numerous letters. In February 1999, Vili appeared on Inside Edition and presented letters from Mary Kay. In these letters, Mary Kay warned him not to talk to or touch another woman and threatened that if he did, it would result in automatic castration. In another disturbing letter, she wrote, The only kids you're having are mine. I'll give you 18 if that's what you want, but your babies are mine. Billy also said that Mary Kay had sent him a nude self-portrait sketched when she was pregnant with their second child. The letters clearly violated Mary Kay's no-contact order, and the prison announced that they were trying to determine how the letters were mailed, since they are supposed to be monitored. It was uncovered that Mary Kay had been sending the letters out in milk bottles that were for their daughter. As a result, she lost her telephone privileges and was sent to the segregation unit. In April of 2000, Billy and Suna filed a lawsuit against officials in South Suburban Des Moines and the Highline School District. They accused them of failing to protect Billy from the sexual advances from Mary Kay. Billy's lawyer, Cyrus R. Vance Jr., said that he was too immature to fully comprehend the relationship or the implications of rearing two children. He stated, 
He was a very young boy. He has two kids. It's an oversimplification to conclude that he was having a mature love affair. The claim against Des Moines described how the police should have separated Billy and Mary Kay for questioning when they found them in the parked car in June 1996. Lawyers for the municipality said police did inform school officials and tried to investigate, but Suna expressed no concern about the relationship and asked that he be returned to Mary Kay. The claim against the school district argued that officials were negligent in hiring Mary Kay as a teacher. They accused the school of knowing that something improper was going on and divulged that Mary Kay and Billy were caught alone in a teacher's bathroom and were seen slow dancing together. The school responded to the lawsuit with Pat Buchanan, the school system's lawyer, stating, The woman's personnel file was glowing. There was no indication of a problem with Vili or any other student on any basis. They were pursuing damages that could potentially exceed $1 million, encompassing emotional suffering, lost income, and the expenses associated with raising his two daughters who were under Suna's care. Shortly thereafter, the State Court of Appeals ruled that Mary Kay could earn royalties from books, movies, and interviews. However, in July, Billy found himself entangled in legal trouble when he was apprehended while riding in a stolen red Honda. He pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of attempted car theft and received a sentence of six months probation and 16 hours of community service. On January 10, 2001, Mary Kay's father, John, died of prostate cancer. Mary Kay was not granted leave from the prison to attend his funeral. Four months later, Vili made an announcement expressing his decision to disassociate himself from the lawsuit filed against Des Moines and Highline School District. He revealed that Mary Kay had told him that pursuing legal action against the school district would hurt her really bad. The lawsuit against Des Moines and the Highline School District went on trial March 18, 2002. While Vili had said he wanted out of the lawsuit, he did sit beside his mother in court. During opening statements, Vili's lawyer, Cyrus Vance, described how his client was suicidal and his life was in ruins. Lawyers for police and school officials said they had no way of knowing what was going on and suggested that Suna was trying to make money from her son's misfortune. Vili and Suna's lawyer described the scenario of the janitor finding them alone in the women's faculty bathroom with the lights off. He also detailed an incident wherein they were observed by teachers and other students slow dancing. He then testified about police finding Mary Kay and Vili in the back of her van. Lawyer Ann Bremner, who was representing police, said that police would not do a secondary interview with a purported victim of sexual assault because suggestive questioning could cause some people to invent allegations. During the trial, several teachers testified and denied knowledge that anything improper was going on between Mary Kay and Billy. Karen Smith had been the teacher to witness the duo slow dancing, and she said that everybody in the class was dancing. She explained that it didn't appear as though Mary Kay and Billy were involved in a sexual situation, so she didn't see the need to report it. She stated, they were not hugging, they were not kissing, they were not close, they were not groping, the lights were on, it did not warrant reporting. Highline Security Director Ronald Unke then testified about the incident regarding Mary Kay and Vili in the minivan. He said that he contacted Suna once police contacted him and told the jury that she asked that her son be returned to Mary Kay. Officer Richard Niebush, who had found Mary Kay and Billy in the van, testified there was nothing to indicate that anything inappropriate had happened between the two. However, he then admitted that he may have treated Mary Kay differently because she was a woman, and that he may have been more suspicious if he had found a man with a girl in a similar situation. Billy testified during the trial and described how the grooming process began. He explained that he had a crush on Mary Kay in the sixth grade, telling the jury, I thought she was hot. He said that she made sexually suggestive remarks and one day kissed him at school. 
Billy then testified that one night in June 1996, they had dinner and kissed in the parking lot. He said he later spent three consecutive nights at Mary Kay's home while Steve and the rest of the family were asleep elsewhere. According to Billy, the school should have been aware that he was being sexually abused. He explained that he and Mary Kay had been intimate in her minivan in the school's parking lot, in the girls' restroom, and in the gym. He claimed for the first time that once Mary Kay was released from jail after serving her first sentence, he moved in with her and lied to his mother, telling her he was staying with a friend. Billy then told the jury that he was depressed and said that he no longer dreamed of marrying Mary Kay. He stated, I love her as the mother of my kids. I can't see us together in the future. Personally, I've lost feelings for her. The jury then heard from Tony Chapa, co-founder of the OSC Vocational Systems of Bothell, who said that Vili would need years of therapy before he would be able to keep a job. He stated that Vili was significantly emotionally impaired, but said he couldn't determine whether that impairment was caused by the sexual abuse. Dr. Saba Hegveri, a psychiatrist with 22 years of experience, testified next. He believed that although what Mary Kay did was legally rape, she was not a rapist, and Vili was not a victim. He said the best thing for them was to get married once Mary Kay was released from prison. The case then went to the jury, and they deliberated for two days before returning with a verdict. They found that school officials and police were not to blame, meaning the lawsuit could not proceed. On August 4, 2004, Mary Kay was released from prison once again. While incarcerated, she participated in the prison choir and recorded books on tape for the visually impaired. Her two children with Billy visited her weekly, while her four children with Steve visited approximately once a year. Seattle attorney Ann Bremner, who had developed a friendship with Mary Kay, remarked in the media, She wants to be a mother. She wants to be a responsible member of society. As Mary Kay was escorted out of prison, there was a large crowd of reporters and teenage boys who held up signs that read, I'm 18, baby, and take me home. On her first day of freedom, she registered as a sex offender at the courthouse. Billy, now 21 years old, immediately contested the court order that prohibited contact with Mary Kay. He argued that he was an adult and should have the freedom to choose his associations. He said to NBC's Today Show, I want to see who she is and if she's still the same person that I fell in love with, and I want to see if she feels the same way for me. Two days after Mary Kay was released from custody, a judge lifted the order barring her from contacting Billy. Spokesman Dan Donahoe stated, We have taken into consideration the wishes of the victim, who is now an adult, and there is no legal reason to keep the no-contact order in place. Upon the lifting of the order, Mary Kay and Billy reunited, and by September, he expressed his desire to marry her to reporters. He said they aimed to achieve financial stability, regain custody of their two daughters from Billy's mother, Suna, and then proceed with the wedding. A professional photographer named David Hans Schmidt captured their reunion, and it was announced that the photographs would be sold to the highest bidder. Though the price of the photographs was not disclosed, David anticipated them to fetch a six-figure sum. Mary Kay and Billy also conducted numerous paid interviews, including appearances on 2020 and Larry King. In October of the same year, just two months after Mary Kay's release, she and Billy became engaged. The wedding was planned for May 2005, and the rights were purchased by Entertainment Tonight. However, the decision to broadcast the wedding faced criticism from those who questioned whether it would be considered entertainment if the roles were reversed, with a male sexual predator and a female rape victim. Before the wedding was held, Mary Kay and Billy moved into a beachfront home on the edge of Puget Sound in upscale Normandy Park, a section of Seattle. According to sources, they were set to make around $750,000 from selling their wedding footage. On May 20th, Mary Kay and Vili exchanged vows at the Columbia Winery in Woodenville, located about 20 miles northeast of Seattle. 
Although Mary Kay was supposed to walk down the aisle to Somewhere Over the Rainbow, the CD couldn't be found. At the last minute, Vili's 16-year-old cousin, Charity, sang His Eye is on the Sparrow, accompanied by a pianist. Mary Kay and Vili's two daughters, Audrey and Georgia, served as flower girls. Mary Kay donned an embroidered Christiana couture gown as she walked down the aisle. Her teenage daughter from her previous marriage acted as maid of honor. Among the bridesmaids were Vili's sister and a friend Mary Kay had made in prison. To adorn the winery, Vili's family had strung together 4,000 orchids that had been shipped in from Hawaii. At the altar, Vili eagerly awaited his bride. As she stood by his side, they exchanged their handwritten vows. Tearfully, Mary Kay expressed to Vili, You are my best friend, the father of my children. I will go where you go, I will stay where you stay, I will die where you die. Holding Mary Kay's hand, Vili proclaimed, You are the mother of my children, I love you. Following the ceremony, the guests proceeded to the reception hall, where the couple was officially announced as Mr. and Mrs. Fulau. In the reception, guests enjoyed a dinner of macadamia nut-encrusted halibut and Japanese lanterns adorned the ceilings. After the meal, a five-tier cake made from various confections was served, embellished with 500 individually placed frosting flowers that matched Mary Kay's dress. Afterward, Mary Kay and Billy embarked on married life together with their two daughters. The numerous interviews they conducted allowed them to live a comfortable life, with Mary Kay assuming the role of stay-at-home mother. As part of her release conditions, she had to undergo periodic lie detector tests and random house inspections. She was also prohibited from having alcohol or pornography in her home. Meanwhile, Vili enrolled at the Art Institute of Seattle. Seattle lawyer Ann Bremner remarked, She's still like a teacher, very attentive to him, showing him the world. She believes it was a love story, not a crime story. In an interview with NBC's Dateline, Mary Kay shared her desire to return to teaching. She said she wasn't allowed to teach in public schools, but would be eligible to teach in private schools. In 2011, Mary Kay became a grandmother when her son from her first marriage had a baby. Over the next few years, she and Vili continued to grant interviews to various publications, capitalizing on their controversial story while presenting it as a love story. In an April 2015 interview with Barbara Walters, Vili acknowledged that their relationship had its ups and downs, but emphasized their perseverance. He expressed, I don't think there's ever a full 10 good years of marriage, but you know, what matters is how you pull through all the bad times. Vili also revealed that he had cautioned his daughters against getting involved with boyfriends, drawing from his own experience. He explained, A relationship could lead to something that you think you wanted back then. You don't really want it, maybe years later. He also expressed his disapproval if his daughters were to have an affair with a teacher. The couple shared that Vili worked at a home and garden center while Mary Kay worked as a legal assistant. However, in May of 2017, Vili initially filed for legal separation from Mary Kay. He cited his desire to obtain a license to dispense marijuana cigarettes, known as cigaweed, as the reason behind the filing. He explained that both parties undergo background checks for licensing, and Mary Kay's past and history could affect the process. Nonetheless, Vili later withdrew the filing, but the following year, he decided to move forward with the legal separation. The case entered arbitration where a third party would determine the fate of their relationship based on hearing both sides. Mary Kay expressed her willingness to reconcile, but Vili remained uncertain. Financial troubles also contributed to the dissolution of their marriage, according to sources close to the couple. The decline in public interest in their story, compared to when Vili was a young boy, resulted in fewer lucrative offers from newspapers. Both Vili and Mary Kay struggled to generate enough income to support their family. They relied on paid interviews to supplement their finances, even if discussing their past as a sex offender and their relationship was embarrassing for them. 
On August 23, 2019, it was officially announced that Mary Kay and Vili had amicably separated. They went to court to handle the division of their assets and debt. Less than a year later, on July 6, 2020, Mary Kay, at the age of 58, passed away at home after battling stage 4 colon cancer. Vili and the rest of her family were by her side during her final moments. Vili later commented that when Mary Kay died, he lost a piece of himself. In her last months, Mary Kay had ample time for reflection. Close sources revealed that she felt remorse for the sexual abuse she had inflicted on Vili. She sought to make peace not only with others, but also with herself. One source commented, The bottom line was that she understood on a very deep level that she had really made a mess of her life and the lives of many other people back in 1996. She realized that even though things turned out relatively good, that she was responsible for a wide swath of destruction by her actions. She apologized to a lot of people for a lot of things. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson. Editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman. Script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America. Thank you for listening, and please be safe.